This is C Night from the Dove Shack. Getting those shit out. Welcome to the time is now. We are having our summertime special. We are having our summertime special here over in the Southern California. IA. It is Wednesday, July the 19th. Yeah, let's get it. This week, we're going to have two soap boxes, one old, one new. We're going to have two musical choices. And of course, of course, we're going to have our final words. So sit back, relax, and we see you on the other side. Stay dry, people. Stay cool, people. I know it's hot outside. only one HBCU team that's ever made it to a national title game in college basketball history and their story is unbelievable. The coach of this team, C. Vivian Stringer, was hired by Cheney State in 1971 as a professor. She coached unpaid on the side. They didn't have locker rooms, showers, anything like that, but they did have game. Their 1982 team had eight high school All-Americans. They were a D2 school playing and winning against D1 teams. So by March, they had a 19-game winning streak and earned a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. This small HBCU team with no scholarships was competing with these giant universities and they made it to the final four. And as if they had not already overcome enough adversity, let me show you what the final four t-shirts looked like. Three teams, no Cheney players. Wow. But that didn't stop them. They made it to the finals. They started off with a 16 to eight lead, but ended up losing to Louisiana Tech, the number one team in the country. And although they lost, they still sealed their legacy as the only HBCU to make it to the finals. See, Vivian Stringer went on to become a college basketball icon. The Hall of Famer is the first coach in NCAA history to lead three different women's programs to the Final Four and became the first black college basketball coach to reach 1,000 wins. Now that is a W. That's a great story. Um, one that I never knew. I didn't know maybe you didn't either, which actually is a great podcast. I need to check that out. Um, every February for the second year in a row, they came out with a podcast um, every day in Black History Month, teaching you something about Black history. But uh, I digress. When it comes to sports, you know, that's what the show is based off on because I've learned so much through sports to teach me um, critical things in life. Why I'm so happy to have my daughter in sports and actually to be her coach. And it's not that, and that's the thing, um, it's not that there's not people who will step up, but it's, it's very few. I noticed in her soccer league, there's very few women coaches. And I wonder why that is. Why does it? Why do men feel so comfortable or, or just seem so willing even to coach women? But then, because right now we're in a rec league where there's boys and girls um, co, but 
I'll be sh shocked to see many women coaching men. And it's weird to me because you grow up in, in our communities where a lot of women raise young men by themselves, but for some reason they can't coach them. So I love the story we just played just now. Um, we spoke times before about the WNBA and sports like that and why people don't patronize it. But in college, thank God for Title IX, but in college sports it's completely different. Women's basketball is, is just as, if not more than, sometimes more popular than the men's basketball. Um, we all know that women's tennis has already started to emerge and women's soccer is also at the forefront because they're so great. So people will support winning. So, but the thing that I noticed, like uh, you could go back and uh, I wouldn't say history, but you could look at people like um, Pat Summit. Arguably one of the greatest coaches on any level, men, women, whatever, of all times in any sport. Extremely decorated. They said she was named one of the 50 greatest coaches of all time back in 2009 before she passed away, winning several John Wooden Awards. Um, if I remember correctly, she'd been to, uh, let me see, she was named 1987, 1989, 1994, 1999, 2004, Naismith College Coach of the Year. In 1998, AP Coach of the Year, and now that's everybody. So Pat Summit has done her thing. She has a 100% graduation um, rate, so she she puts everyone through school. She coached in 38 seasons from 1974 to 2012. She won almost 85% of all of her games. You understand what that takes to do something like that? That consecutiveness, that 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 drive to even go 38 years i'm only 42 i shouldn't say only that i'm pretty old but my point is is that this this woman has done things that are just unprecedented like speaking of unprecedented she had 31 consecutive appearances in the ncaa tournament and advanced to a record 18 ncaa final fours winning eight times she is pretty much the goat she produced 21 WBCA Kodak State Farm All-Americans who earned 36 honors. She's put countless others through the draft and into the WNBA. She want, she coached them into a gold medal in 1984. Like, she's done so many. You can keep counting the accolades, how great she was. Why couldn't she ever coach men? No matter how great she was, she could never break over open that ceiling. Have you guys seen her? Go back and watch footage. She could have coached men. The, the, the men would have listened to her. I know I would have. She was intense. Strong, strong will, strong voice. Knows what she's talking about. Knows more basketball than many of us will ever know. But for some reason, and I don't want to say the word limited. See, and, and, and I don't want to come this off as, as saying like, oh, well, they're less than like, oh, the next level up is. But in essence, it really is. Because the men's sports get paid more, they get patronized more. They get they're more athletic. The more laymen's can watch it, the more the casuals can watch it and understand it and digest it. Because these guys can do things that they can't. They're like superhuman. Oh, they fly through the air. So that's kind of how it's looked at. So yes, they get paid more, especially in the pros. Um, so I look at that, and the reason why I bring that up because you have a guy named Gino Ariyama, Gino. 
who gets more accolades they, they allow this man to come and coach women and become one of the best of all times in that field and he was asked many times and that's the thing he was at least approached to go pro or even approached to go coach the men college and then go coach nba he's been approached many times he's turned it down he says he likes where he's at and i get it in college you have more of a control and then too there's no guaranteed longevity there's very few coaches who coach for over a decade at any program there's not a lot of popovich's out there even to me the greatest coach of all times and phil jackson he bounced around he went he did two stints in la and into chicago that's just that's just the the life of a coach in almost every level in male sports there's not a lot of belichicks and not a lot of um now I'm going blank on the coach for the for the Steelers. There's not a lot of those guys out there. And to do it, you have to be like super, super great. You got to kind of be like how Geno is in, in, in Connecticut. But it always bothered me why that was, why the case was that way. So that that's why when I see people like Becky Hammond doing her thing, Coach Popovich, one of the greatest coaches of all time, easily top three. Some say he's the GOAT. I still got Phil Jackson, but easily top three. He gave his stamp of approval. She had to work underneath him, which is fine. And for some reason, she'd even get a sniff at an NBA job. So she had to go down. I'm going to say it like that because it's less money. But go down to the WNBA, to the Las Vegas Aces, and wins it her first year. So much so that Candace Parker, who was a, a spark her whole career, went back home to Chicago, said she's going back home. And she won a championship there her first season. They didn't win last year. She's already looking for greener pastures. She's going to go be with Becky Hammond, play for the Aces. Becky Hammond is another one of those magnetic forces who can coach men, but for some reason not given the opportunity. Let me go over to Dawn Staley, South Carolina, doing her thing. Actually, is the highest paid women's college coach over Gino and people say that was such a huge feat because before it was always the men Pat Summit made right under two mil which is pretty good especially back at that time well I think it was under a mil but what regardless my point is is that we got to come to a point in time where we can get rid of this divide of women getting paid less than men i spoke before how black women make an eighth of what a of a white man in the traditional workforce when they can do the same jobs that men do why can't they get compensated the same as if they're treated less than and that's the thing we have to get over that's the change that has to happen in this country and, and the thing is it changes with the men Black people aren't free in this country if white people did not assist in it happening. I know that hurts to say, but it's true. Because only people could make the change are people with power. You can influence that change from beneath. That's why we march and we do the things that we do. And people can, you got to shed light to the injustice that's happening. So women can go ahead and protest and do this and that, but then the men, their sons, their nephews, their husbands have to champion their cause to give that voice a bigger stage. And I think it's time for us to finally do that. The day a woman 
coaches a male dominated sport that's when I can finally start to see change in this world until next time we do not have the rights to this music
time your child is in trouble, remember, it's gonna be y'all talking about divorce, just remember, it's gonna be the next time you crying in the midnight hour, it's gonna be <laughs> look at somebody and tell them it's gonna, it's gonna Are you tired of spending your entire weekend at dealerships only to feel as if you got a raw deal? Don't you hate all the back and forth and haggling for countless hours? Imagine this. While you're at work or having dinner or just enjoying life, the people at Pure Diamond Auto are working a great deal on your behalf. With Pure Diamond Auto, they have a team of former sales and finance managers who know all the tricks of the trade. Call 562 PDA 7888 today for a free consultation. That's 562-732-7888. What can I say? I love PDA. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, you already know what time it is. This is my favorite part of the show. It's the happy birthday, so let's go. Lionel Messi turned 36 this past month, and Cindy Lauper turned 70. Porsche Williams turned 42, and Dale Curry, that's Steph and Seth Curry's daddy, turned 59. Carson Denny turned 50. Plies, y'all know Plies. Plies turned 47. Mikey Williams turned 19. Derek Jeter turned 49. Jason Mraz turned 46. Randy Jackson turned 67. Michael Vick turned 43, and Iman Shumper turned 38. Candace Patton, that's from The Flash. Candace Patton turned 35, and her turned 26. Salon Nose turned 37, and Mindy Kaling turned 44. Missy Elliott turned 52, and um, Rudy Gobert turned 31. Shannon Sharp turned 55, and Layla, Lala Anthony turned 42. Um, Rob Deerdeck turned 49, and Bradley Beal turned 30. Sweetie turned 30 as well. And Ricky Gervais turns Ricky Gervais turns 62. Um, Buzzy, Busy Phillips, Busy Phillips, she turned 44. Ariana Grande turned 30, and Kawhi Leonard, the Claw, turned 32. King Botch, King Botch turned 35, and Khloe Kardashian turned 39. Michael Porter Jr., the NBA champion, Michael Porter Jr. turned 25, and Shakur Stevens turned 26. John Elway turned 63, and and Toby McGuire turned 48. Oliver Stark from 911 with the with that with, from 911 with the scar in his eye turned 32. Uh, Michael Phillips, it's not Michael Phillips, Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps turns 38, and Vera Wayne turns 74. Burner Boy turned 32, and Cody Rhodes turned 38. Elon Musk turned 52, and Vince Staples turns 30, and Alicia Fox from the WWE, she turned 37. Mike Tyson turned 57, and Tashina Arnold turned 54. AJ Brown turned 26, and Mel Brooks turned 97. Wow. Dan Ackroyd turned 56, and John Cusack turned 57, and Lindsay Lohan turned 37. Nicole Scherzinger turned 45, and Charlemagne the Guy turned 45 as well. Brett the Hitman Hart turned 66, and Larry David turned 76. Party Next Door turned 30, and Gary Busey turned 79. Fantasia turned 39, and Benedict Wong turned 52. Tom Cruise turned 62, and Fantasia turned 39. 
Um, Chloe Bailey turned 25. And finally, 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 my cousin, Sonia, turns 45. We have some honorable mention. Princess Diana, tragically killed in an accident back in Europe, back in 1997. Would have been 62. Debo, Tommy Tiny Lister, passed away back in 2020, would have been 65. Wilma Rudolph, famous track star, passed away back in 1994, would have been 83. George Michael, passed away back in 2016, would have been 60. Anthony Bourdain, tragically killed himself back in 2018, would have been 67. And finally, Miyagi-san, Mr. Miyagi, Pat Morita. Passed away back in 2005, would have been 91. But that's all the birthdays we have this week, guys. Now, back to our show. We do not have the rights to this music. Eyes haven't seen... Ears haven't heard the kind of blessings, the kind of blessings that's about to fall me. Cause victory is here. Kick the feet out the door. God's doing a new thing. Yeah. Get ready for all. Maneuver the jet ski Cause I serve a god that parted the Red Sea Multi-million dollar commercials for Pepsi From food stamps to more ice than Gretzky I don't gotta talk, the Lord defends me I watch them all fall for going against me Cause me and all my angels shot the devil up While you was trying to pull me down, I leveled up I leveled up twice, I leveled up three times He tapped them and told them she's mine So even when I cried, I knew I'd be fine Prepare for a miracle blessing in these times Now praise them, raise them, name it, claim it Every tongue that rises up against me Shame it, I breathe success in and out my lungs Got the power, life and death coming out my tongue
Okay. Well, this is much better. What's up, y'all? I'm JJ. Many of you already know me, but my sister Lene asked me to come down here and handle some business for y'all this Friday. So, with that being said, I'm gonna keep it black, but I'm gonna keep it brief. Last week, the Supreme Court killed affirmative action. But did they really, though? Well, for all intents and purposes, yes. The Supreme Court ruled that the admission processes of UNC and Harvard both violated the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause. Now, this is a break from previous precedent, and it also calls into question a lot of things. In the 2003 case, Grutter v. Bollinger, the Supreme Court ruled that colleges can use race in their admission process as long as it's narrowly tailored and serves a compelling state interest. Narrowly tailored, meaning it considers race as just one factor in a whole individual assessment and serves a compelling state interest by doing things like increasing diversity and getting more perspectives into colleges since they used to be segregated. Now, many people have seen this screenshot of the Harvard admission process and deemed it discriminatory and problematic. And I personally agree. I don't think there should be this big of a discrepancy between the lowest decile of African-American applicants and the highest decile of Asian-American applicants. But this case isn't just saying that Harvard and UNC got it wrong. It's saying that no college can use race in its admissions. This conclusion naturally comes with a bunch of concerns. In his concurrence, Justice Brett Kavanaugh seemed to imply that they weren't overturning previous precedent, they were applying previous precedent to this case and they found what they found. If the problem was truly that these two colleges in particular were violating the 14th Amendment by breaking with the precedent established by other cases, then an application of that precedent should allow for other colleges to keep using race so as long as they're following that precedent. It's because the Supreme Court has decided we have beaten racism. You see conservatives absolutely ecstatic saying, and they have to admit you based on your merit. Imagine that. But that's just it. America is not, nor has it ever been, a meritocracy. It doesn't matter that Justice Clarence Thomas has been on record him damn self praising affirmative action for his successes. It doesn't matter that we have data on what happens when affirmative action is banned. After California banned it in 1998, the 10,000 annual underrepresented minority applicants began attending lower quality California universities that did not improve student achievement. Degree attainment decreased and wages, especially of Hispanics, declined by 5% annually between ages 24 and 34. In Florida, the amount of black student enrollment in college has steadily decreased since the ban on affirmative action in 1999, despite the amount of black high schoolers in Florida remaining the same. Not to mention the logic in this ruling could be applied to the workplace, and if it is, then that could directly hinder minority wages, which would directly hinder their ability to buy property, which would directly hinder the ability to provide quality education through public high school, which would call for affirmative action to be needed even more. It doesn't matter that the SAT, something that 20 states still require and that many universities still weigh when considering admissions, has proven racial bias against against minority students. This is outside of socioeconomic status. And it doesn't matter that many selective universities already know that without affirmative action, they won't be able to maintain their current amount of diversity. Because remember guys, we beat racism. Affirmative action, while not perfect, is an acknowledgement that the deck has been stacked against minorities through policy for no good reason. And completely trashing it assumes that we unstacked it. We have not. Hence why colorblind practices have never worked no matter the intention. So the conservatives on the court can keep deluding themselves into believing that merits are what determine success. And by the way, we better see legacy admissions gone too if that's the case, but of course diversity was the thing that got attacked first. But as long as the government doesn't do the actual work to ensure it, we will continue to put butterfly band-aids over bullet wounds and then ripping them off and calling it progress. Good day. Alright, where do I begin? Um, such an interesting topic. We'll be speaking on um, the affirmative action and what I led to believe where it helps different demographic of people. And, and what my understanding was that it actually helped more single white women or women, single white women in uh, certain demographics more than it did any black person in totality. 
and just thinking about it in its totality saying how you got to help this demographic because of these things that are stacked against them and so forth and so on i understand that i get that um where the bigger issue is is that why is there such a difference between the two three four communities there is racism and racial differences and biases when it comes just to our educational system based upon um what jobs you're allowed to receive and then based on those jobs where you're allowed to live and based upon the income taxes in that area how much funding would go towards your schooling and then so forth and so on but if we do like we do taxes to some degree where they use all of our tax money and they spread it across and then everyone gets equal share going towards the educational system no matter where you live the most impoverished people have the same curriculum and the same resources as those in the hills those in the slums have the same benefits or the same items to read from and learn from and reap the benefits from that the people in the hills and the hamptons and, and beverly hills and all those affluent areas have that bridges the gap that we all have the same information i'm not even going to get into um the things they're talking about down south where they don't want you to learn about the actual history of America because they say it puts white people in a bad light. We're never going to get into that. There's a name for it. You guys look it up. I forgot. It doesn't really matter to what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in general. Just having the access to certain things can change your whole world. I remember growing up in the hood, many of us, if we didn't go on a group project with the school, we never got a chance to see the, the beach. There's people who grew up in Compton their whole lives who never even been to Rodeo Drive. They're like, why am I here? And the cops will say the same thing. Why are you here, Negro? What You have no business here. And I get to the point where you're like, you got impoverished people going to rich neighborhoods, so they're going to see something nice and shiny that you cannot afford. So their natural thought is, how can I get this? Because I can't afford this, so I'm going to take this. But if we start at the base level and we give everyone the same opportunities, it's not even affirmative action at this point. It's just taking the dollars from those other areas, fixing up the the streets, giving them more affordable housing, giving them, taking their liquor stores off of every corner. Instead of a liquor store, let there be a Starbucks. Why, why can't they have access to better foods, better water? Just using the tax dollars and spreading it evenly across the board to give people better situations. We're not trying to say, I'm not thinking of a communism or fascism or socialism. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about how everyone should get paid the same amount of money. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying putting the tax dollars is something that's more feasible. Instead of it all going towards the military, why can't it go towards things like that? Things are going to make all the infrastructures better because guess what? When you do that, crime is actually going to exponentially go lower. But then you got to really peel it back. Do you really want crime? Do they really want crime to go lower? Studies have shown that the, the school systems, these public school systems in these um, underprivileged communities are geared to be just like the prison system. They literally have your children. The majority of them are literally being farmed to become criminals. You can tell that because those same communities are over-policed. For what reason? If you increase more police, you're going to increase the chances of someone getting locked away. Then you go to the judicial system and they have a higher probability of getting the same crime being in a community where they have less opportunity, that same crime that little Devante did, that little Jimmy 
do the same crime in, in a more affluent community who has less reason to commit that crime. One of them has eight times more likely to get more, more time than the other. So the whole system is geared, that's why they call it the trap, is geared for that person to go ahead and fail and to fill those um, prison systems. You know why? The prison systems are for profit in this country. A lot of them are owned by individualists, individual companies who are making money on the entire prison system. So it's in their best interest. And then, then they, they have you work for these companies in there and you make you have cheap to no labor. You're, guess what? They're paying for you to eat. You know, they're paying for your house and board. You, now you get a, you get better meals you get in here than you do out there. Some of them look to go do that. So you got some people saying, I'd rather become a slave in here than living free. And then the times they get for the same crime, once again, if, they, if that white person is booked and that black person is booked on the crime, they're going to be there exponentially longer. They view the lives of these black and brown people to be how this country was completely developed to begin with, as cheap to free labor. So everything is designed to keep that system going. I bring this example up again, just like in Monsters, Inc. They had this way of generating power for the communities. It was a way of scaring children late at night. You scare these children, the screams generate energy. Once they learn that the laughter by accident, by happenstance, they learned that laughter brought on exponential more power. They changed a complete different way of civilization. So now they say, I can get more from doing positive things than doing negative things. The same thing should apply here. We have to find a new way of generating income. We don't, we, we shouldn't have a prison system. No, no country has more prisoners per capita or more prison institutions per capita than the United States. That's by design. No country has as many guns, easily to receive guns in the United States. That's by design. So if you really think about it, this is not the greatest country on earth. This is the most criminalized country on earth. And we have camps all around the world to check and balance other countries. You're in their backyard telling them or watching, monitoring every move. You're trying to have the whole world under siege. They're listening to this right now. And for what? For profit? But it's dirty money. There's already been proven ways that you can make money in positive ways, but they refuse to do so because of greed. Once again, I'm not talking about socialism. I'm not talking about we all should make the same amount of money, but shouldn't it make sense? Shouldn't it be fair? Do people have to scratch tooth and nail, work their you-know-what's off and barely have anything? Is that the American dream? Is that what we're selling people? They don't sell you that. The system right now is failing. It's working by their design, but the design is not the best way to do it because they want this 1% or less than 1% to stay at the top and they have everyone else crawling for scraps. That's by design. They don't, they're, they're too greedy to share it, share their wealth. You can still be a multi-billionaire and create more millionaires. I don't see the problem with that. Why, why, why can't people have more? Why can't we have a system designed to where we're more educated? Because they never thought to believe that if someone here at the bottom had the opportunities that their child has, they could actually make the world a better place. You can actually cure cancer. Oh, but why would we do that? There's no money in that. The money is not in the healing. The money is to pacify. Keep you long enough to kill you and start over again. Because if we heal you, we eradicate it. We lost so much money in pharmaceutical drugs. Oh, did I say too much? These are all facts. They're trying to find ways to just string you along to make as much money as possible. And it's sad. And there's got to be a better way. I'm sure they know which way it is, but they say, why do that? 
I remember before I get out of here, I remember a joke that Chris Rock stated years ago. He says, back in the days, we used to have better and sturdier cars. Then they realized there's no money in having a car that's going to last forever. You need money on the get back. He says, you got money to send people to the moon. You tell me you can't make an Eldorado where the bumper don't fall off. It's facts. You're making cars cheaper than ever, but selling them for more than ever. And just for them to break off. They have the warranties expiring after three years, 36,000 miles or four years, 50, because they know it's designed that a good percentage of them will break down in a period of time. So we have a warranty that's not going to cover much of anything. It's very few of your cars are going to mess up in that period of time because it's designed to fall apart at a certain time. That's by design. So when that time comes and your warranty is now expired, your car is falling apart, time to get another one. That's by design. That's how to keep the train going. They don't want you to keep your car for 10, 15, 12 years. And now with the way computers are advancing, your car is going to be outdated in five. You have your car in four or five years, like your car doesn't even pair up. Your phone doesn't even pair up to your car anymore. Your Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, all those things don't even work. That's all by design, people. Listen, at the end of the day, we got to find a way to come together and be stronger together as a fist than an individual pointing and prodding, not having any sort of growth. If it's just one of us who stands up, it can be broken so easily. If all five of us or a group of us stand up together, very difficult, if not impossible, to be broken. We got to look for the truth. We got to do what's best for each other. We got to do what we got to do for our children coming forward. If not who, if not when, how? I truly don't know. Maybe you can figure it out. But the time is now. Until next time. You can win as long as you keep your head to the sky. Be optimistic. But that's it this week, guys. Another great week. Another great show. Thank you all for stopping in for this summertime special. We had a great time with you guys. Um, we, the music choices this week, we had two songs. We had um, Better by Kirk Franklin, and we have I'm Getting Ready by Tasha Cobb featuring Nicki Minaj. Remember, if you like the show, like it. And, of course, of course, share. And, of course, of course, subscribe. Now it's time for our final word. There is time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. Remember, spread love, share love, embrace love. For God is love. Until next time, peace. Strive.
you try.